Alexis is a conqueror. No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never right. been anybody that's right. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their club. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat your children. It was just banter. Stay off the weed. And England win on penalties. History in itself. You know, I think it's a great city. I think they got the best organization in the NBA. But they do have some big old wins. I'm here with the winner, Derek Lewis. Derek, why don't you take your pants off? Balls are fun. I understand. Hold oh, the ticket quickly, Reggie! Yeah. Yes, he's back. No wonder he's in the fucking reserves. Listen, I ain't gonna forget about this by the time we get the motorway. Hello and welcome to episode 251 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett. And Alex Jones. Busy-ish week this week. We've got a lot, lots, lots happening in the Premier League this weekend. News of the week, as always. Fury Wilder this weekend too. And I'm sure uh, some other things will crop up while we're recording today. So we'll get straight into it with news of the week. So, oh, start as we mean to go on, I suppose. Um, people are lodging nicotine pouches in their buttholes and foreskins for a buzz. Health experts warn it can cause skin damage and lead to addiction. So, <laughs> if you want to mute your mic now, Alex, while you remove yours, then, uh, <laughs> we'll, then we'll carry on from there. Um, drunk and disorderly Nicolas Cage is mistaken for a homeless man and thrown out of a Vegas bar. <laughs> I did see this article. Nicolas Cage doing Nicolas Cage things. Uh, Shakira says two wild boars attacked her in Barcelona Park. Wild boar? Good. Thankfully, she's okay. I've seen some of the creatures that gather in the middle of Barcelona. It might not have been wild boar. <laughs> Going after poor Shakira. Uh, special ops soldiers evade late night ninja attack at California Airport. <laughs> my hand in a full ninja outfit and with a katana um i think he took out some men so it's quite a big thing um sylvester stallone to reissue rocky 4 as rocky versus drago the ultimate director's cut with 40 minutes of new footage cash grab tk or were you tuning in for the extra footage for sure it's a cash grab isn't it <laughs> i don't know what else they could really cram into that film there's a lot in there I know Troy is probably the biggest Rocky fan I know. So probably worth asking him how he feels about it. But um, everything that comes out now, I feel, is used to that like Christmas cash grab where you get it on Amazon for under a tenner and then bank on enough people not knowing what to get their dads or uncles or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And you bang this in the basket. I think you've had previous ones, like we said, that Oasis Nebworth documentary will be released and is actually released uh, the last day of November. So yeah, just absolutely. in time for Christmas. Um, absolutely. You had that uh, United um, Class of 92 DVD that 
flew off the shelves the other year, so they always get a couple in. Ohio man tried to sue his wife after tripping over her shoes and falling down basement steps. They still together. By the <laughs> I, I like the idea. Of Sat at home. Like, like, Look, don't take it personally. <laughs> what happens in court stays in court. <laughs> um, artist takes museum's $84,000, returns with blank canvases titled Take the Money and Run. Excellent. You see this story? I haven't seen it. So, so yeah, literally they said they would pay him to produce some contemporary artwork for them, paid him this cash up front without seeing the finished pieces. Oh, God. He returned the same canvases back, said it was called Take the Money and Run. They're now trying to say, give us our money back. And he said, no, this is modern <laughs> art. I don't know what, what you're so angry about. Oh. Um, and supposedly if he's taken to uh, court as art is subjective, they don't have a leg to stand on. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, if you're being paid 84000 you could at least do something shit and return it. <laughs> this is a man that clearly just doesn't care. Um, I could have easily died, said the woman who's wedgie from wearing high-cut jean shorts on a date I landed her in hospital. <laughs> Once again, didn't get the full story, so uh, <laughs> I can't tell you how she nearly died, but it's been a bad wedgie. Um, <laughs> COVID patient diagnosed with restless anal syndrome in world first. <laughs> so supposedly the same as restless leg syndrome, this guy is just feeling like discomfort or twinging in his anus, constantly. Constantly thinks he's getting ploughed. <laughs> so they say that as COVID, one of the things that attacks is um, your central nervous system. It's just one of the things that can happen. Unfortunately <laughs> for this guy, he's just the first person to ever suffer with it. Um, and oh. as such, there's very few things they can do than just give him kind of uh, tranquilizers, the wrong words, but they're just basically giving him something to numb his ass throughout the day. I wonder if he's tried putting a nicotine patch up there. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> Bring the sensation back. Um, Humpty Dumpty dumping statue is stolen during Madison Art Fair. I don't even um, know what... <laughs> I'm not even entirely sure what that means. <laughs> Humpty Dumpty having a dump as, as a statue. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Um, and... KFC have released fried chicken scented bath bombs in Japan. So mm. another one just in time for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. There's your news of the week. A lot has happened in, in a little there. It really has. Yeah, you're right. I'm still quite disappointed. That very few of these are in England. And when they are, it's, it's something horrible, like some crazed killer going around or someone accidentally standing on a train track. Or something like that. It's never anything like light. A woman getting a wedgie <laughs> and uh, nearly dying, or Humpty Dumpty dumping statue being stolen on a date, no less. Exactly, exactly. Um, let's see if the wedgie was there pre-date. Maybe a date gave her a wedgie. That that was in my mind. <laughs> he obviously just got look. We get along really well here. I got a bit too over familiar. Just try and break the ice in. Look, if, <laughs> if she's fuming at this, we're just not going to work. 
<laughs> All right, so a lot has happened in the Premier League this weekend. As always, if we go through the game chronologically, um, Chelsea weren't last this week, so uh, we actually don't have anything down with Chelsea. I, I feel them beating Southampton is much to do about nothing. Um, but Jack wouldn't have had to wait till last. Unfortunately, TK, you were the showpiece of the weekend, so uh, Liverpool City will be the last thing on our agenda. One that we can all get our teeth into. So the question, once again, on the back of the papers, Oli out. After a 1-1 draw with Everton, the question is being asked once again. Anthony Martial put United ahead on 42 minutes before Andros Townsend levelled things, and we'll get a little into that um, in just a moment. Yerry Mina's late effort was ruled out for offside. Um, it's something that everyone saw coming apart from him and Tom Davis, actually, um, and both sides ultimately settled for a point. This increases the pressure on Oli, whose United side have picked up just one point in six and have failed to keep a clean sheet in their last nine league games, their worst defensive run in 50 years. Blimey, didn't realise that, I will admit. Yeah, pre-game then. I'll admit, not a good look for myself here, but I didn't see the kind of... Uh, pre-game hullabaloo, first time I've used that word, in terms of Ollie's selection, um, due to the fact me falling asleep and waking up 10 minutes into the game. <laughs> falling asleep, not waking up until 10 minutes into the game. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo scores a winner in midweek against Villarreal, gets dropped. Paul Pogba, some of the best form he's had, um, certainly the, the opening few games for United, um, him and Ronaldo, probably the, the, the two key men outside of Bruno, he gets dropped as well. Martial comes in, has two goals in his last 24. Obviously, he does get the goal. But Everton are without Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Alex Iwobi failed a late fitness test and seeing his name on those two is something else. <laughs> but anyway, Solskjaer, for some reason, thought he had to rotate things. TK, I'll go to you first because Ollie was in the headlines this week. Once again, uh, when things aren't going his way, he deflects the attention to Klopp. Um, had a couple of comments the week before about um, not getting penalties. They get a penalty, they blast over the bar. This time he says United haven't been given enough time since their Champions League game and they should have been in a late slot. Do you think he's done this? To try and prove a point, I'm not sure he carries the same authority as some other managers that this would work for. But do you think that was his intention going in? Or do you think he really thought he had to rotate these players? Uh, I mean, you could be right. But that hasn't been uh, hasn't been the focus at all, has it? Um, if that's what he was aiming to do. Yeah. It hasn't been. No one's been going off when he had to do it because he got done over with no. fixtures. Um, the, the thing about... Uh, obviously the penalties is obviously pretty laughable with their recent record uh, and, and a manager complaining about getting the early kickoff after a Wednesday game is nothing new they, they've all done it and they've all got a, a point to some extent I think the the real issue I think is that he's got himself in a position where they had to win against Villarreal in the week and in which case he's had to play Ronaldo and obviously he's had to play him right till the death to get the to get the result I think in an ideal world he either wouldn't have had to start him in that game or would have been able to take him off on the hour mark having had the game won. And then I think he probably would have started him against Everton. I think once that happens, I think he was it's probably inevitable that he was going to have to rotate a little bit. Uh, and as a result, he's, he's missed out in, a, in a, a game that they would have fought home to Everton, 
potentially tricky, but we should be winning, particularly with the players out that you said. Having said all this, they were one nil up when Ronaldo comes on. Yeah. So I do think they're kind of misdiagnosing the uh, the cause of this. You touched upon their defensive record. I think that probably needs more of a look than the Ronaldo thing is a, a sexy headline for the media. But I don't know yeah. if that's really the story of this game, to be honest. Alex, I mean, we've we've done this several times before. It's something that I think confuses us, and it's when a manager is going to rest these players rather than try and kill the game early, get the players on get them off. Instead, he, he leaves these players on the bench. And I don't know if that sends out a message to Everton because you've got to think, if you're Rafa, regardless of whether he says it or not, but those players in the changing room, when they see a team sheet, they already know their own injuries and then they see Pogba and Ronaldo. That's got to fire you up, hasn't it? Because you're thinking they think they can bowl over us here. Yeah, for sure. It's... It, it's it's a game of it's psychological warfare from the off. Um I just, I just don't really understand the decisions still, though. Um, I mean, whether Everton went in with a consistent game plan, regardless of what the Man United lineup was going to be, like we've spoken about in the past, about managers sort of setting up to play the game in the way that they want, regardless of what the lineup is, and then managers that adjust. At the moment, you'd want to say that Ollie's forming into the manager's who just set up and want to play how they want to play, regardless of what the opposition is. I don't think United are quite there yet with their squad to make those kind of decisions. Um, and Everton ultimately saw an opportunity there and capitalised on that. Um, Even yeah, before you kind of get to what there is on the pitch, you said there about Ollie and he, he's definitely been trying the things. I think, TK, you said it was uh, one of the worst Fergie impressions you could see. I think you tweeted... Any one of these attempts from Ollie to try and drum up the media has never worked. I don't know why. I don't know why he keeps persisting with this. I think after the win against Leeds, maybe, or it may have been the Wolves game, he came in joking about the rumours that he was going to be sacked, um, as if that was going to send the message to the media. You've obviously had the ones that we've referenced before. It's not the first time he's done this. Surely. You've got to know when you're that guy. Uh, not to go with that meme that you keep seeing recently. You're not that guy, pal. But Ollie is not that guy. Like When Pep does it, you can see a certain way to it. You can maybe see some things unfolding. When you look at back in the days of Jose and Fergie and even like Wenger and some other ones, if you're not that guy, worry about other things. This is just creating more narratives for him to get stuck into. It just seems like he doesn't need any more fights to be dealing with at this stage. No, you should you should save this for when you've got more uh, more credit in the bank, shouldn't you? Yeah. The uh, so, the only thing I will say with this, and I never, and I guess this was inevitable. Whenever the first game he doesn't play Ronaldo and they drop points, it's going to happen. But I do think the team he put out was good enough to get a result. Yeah. And also, are we saying that Ronaldo has to start every game? Because that that's quickly going to become the thing here. Is a, I know he's Ronaldo, but a 36-year-old who everybody had the understanding that, look, he isn't going to be what he was before and he's going to come... He's going to obviously start most of the games, but he is going to have to be managed. The first time he's been managed, we're up in arms and suggesting that Solskjaer doesn't have a clue. In terms yeah. of intensity, though, we're seeing different from him. Like 
he's not charging people down. I'm not saying he was doing that in Italy, but if you're Oli and you're under pressure, and we've just said the record that they have now is one point um, in their last possible six. Help yourself out if you yeah. If you start from his point of view, <laughs> agreed. Yeah, just a sort of like an objective thing looking at it. I just didn't. I just don't quite see the. Uh, I know, I know, it's an obvious, but if they obviously nick a one-nil win, no one talks about this. So it's uh, well, if you're going to drop him, then don't drop Pogba at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was an odd one because again, he shouldn't need managing. He's not 36 years old, so has, an odd has one. any like has anybody really ever taken Oli seriously like, as a as a contender? Well, there's a, a section of Man United fans who do. Yeah. I, I, no, nice. but that, well, you say that. You say that. Um, I, I've never, I haven't come across a United fan in close proximity that thinks that he, like, j- like I think takes him seriously. I think he's going to be the guy who gets them to where they need to be. Even the more optimistic ones, it was only because they signed Ronaldo. It was nothing to do with Oli at all. No, it was just kind of like Ronaldo will manage the squad and get them over the line. I, I, I cannot, I cannot see. Like, I saw a comparison. Uh, I saw a, like a, a, tw- a tweet or something earlier said, um, like it was had a picture of Ronald Koeman and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, um, and it said like uh, brothers from the but, uh, brothers from the same mother or something <laughs> along those lines. And uh, and uh, I was like, it got me thinking though. Who would I rather have if I was in United shoes? And even now, I'd have Cumin. I think. Oh, I just. I, I can't know. Exactly how. Similar to how you see. are with Nuno. Like you don't necessarily want Nuno out, but you might not think that he's the best that you can have. And I think that's how a lot of them feel with Oli that we can do better. But well, if if Oli loses his job, if Oli lost his job at United, could you realistically see another Premier League team? Certainly, like I, I will. I will burst out laughing if you think it's any of the top half of the table teams. But could you seriously see any of the other Premier Leagues going out of their way to get him at their club if he lost his job? I think Newcastle are the only one. I don't think they go out of their way, so that probably would. I think Newcastle are the only one where if you offered them... That's an answer in itself. They go out of their way. I mean, like... Watford maybe for a couple of months? Yeah, Yeah, I, I think a way of doing it, Alec, is if you said, if you asked any any uh, kind of chairman in the league, do you want to swap managers and see how many of them take Ollie? Then I think you might just get Renat- yeah, Newcastle a push. Even then, I'm not yeah. sure they take it. <laughs> yeah, Ashley goes, what's his wages? No, no, that's all right. We'll, keep, we'll stick with Bruce. It's fine. <laughs> the game that we did see on the pitch then, so as you said, United, far from looking like world beaters, but they craft a nice goal early on. Martial scores um, in many ways justifies the team selection of Oli at that stage mm. because he's brought a man in. He's got two in uh, his past 24, then gets a goal. It just seems to be we aren't scared of United at this stage. Spurs, I think, partly because of you, Alex, and partly just because of the rivalry, I don't look forward to playing Spurs. I don't look forward to playing Liverpool. I don't look forward to playing City. In fact, I actively dread those games. I get quite excited about playing United because (laughs) they don't feel 
insurmountable in the way that they should when you look at the team that they can put on paper and with the man they got in the dugout. No, they they definitely don't have the the fear factor. They well had a long time to go now. Um, but the flip side to all this is they are still only two points off top. It, it goes to the kind of whether they should be top contenders at the start of the season. Yeah, but two points off top would would categorise that, wouldn't it? I mean, I think if as you look stands, at their fixtures, who's the toughest team they've played so far? Could it be Everton? <laughs> That's the thing, yeah, mate. Not- I, I guess we're also forecasting because there's been a lot of this this next 10 games they've got coming up, hasn't it? They've got a couple of Champions League games. You've got Liverpool, City, I think Leicester and now Spurs, which could be a, could not be a tough game. So uh, I think people are forecasting that they probably, going on current performances, aren't going to pick up too many wins in that time, aren't they? Is the thinking. Yes. Southampton, maybe. And then you've just seen... That, I mean, they've proven difficult to play against rather than being anyone that was going to bowl them over and they drew there. The winning I, I always think is the, probably the most impressive. Yeah, yeah, definitely, actually. The, um, although, you know, you look at Leeds' other four outside of this. And you so start beating West Ham, was, okay, beating West Ham, that's a good win. But again, far from convincing that, I was about to say that the issue for them is, and the thing where I find the, the pressure on Oli a little bit crazy is, we don't get any of this talk when they scrape a win over Villarreal. But it's the same sort of level of performance, really. There isn't much change. It just happens to be sometimes, you know, Ronaldo nicks him a goal or they get a bit of a lucky break. Um, and then in this one, they, they obviously don't. So it's... They don't convince even when they're supposed to. Do you remember when we got to the end of um, last season and then you looked and there was a lot of Arsenal fan accounts saying, well, look, we had the third best defence in the league. I don't know why we're going after Ben White. I don't know why we're doing this and that. And it was like, we've all seen the same thing. Nobody looked at Arsenal last season and said, you know what? You're a very strong defensive team. This is not an area you need to improve in, for example. Since then, we've bought a new centre-back and you wrote back a new keeper. But as you said there, sometimes we you do need to look at it for what it is. Like those those wins under Emery. You were looking at those, and there was a twenty-game unbeaten run. But you were like, oh, "I'm not, I'm not sure about this." You weren't looking at Arsenal feeling threatened at that time, were you? And I guess those same results then suddenly don't get over the edge, like you see against Everton here, and the world can come falling down very quickly. Let's face it, a huge concern for United as well is the home form. Is that they yeah. don't, for all this away record that's been talked about. Flip, the flip side to that is obviously if your home record match that you'd be winning everything it's for whatever reason because this is obviously translated for when there's no fans to when there's fans they probably would have thought having fans in would have changed their fortunes in that regard hasn't so far um, some of these games again they aren't it's not like they're playing a team off the park but just not getting the result they're, they're really not no. Andros Townsend should not feel comfortable enough to do Ronaldo's celebration in front of him. <laughs> call it a tribute, call it whatever you want. I'm it was having it. He shouldn't feel like he can do that in your house. <laughs> I'm, oh, I'm a little bit upset that he didn't quite stick the landing and he stubbled a little bit. I felt like the landing just I took away from it a little bit. Impact, the fact that he can't even do it properly. Yeah, he didn't even throw out the arms of any conviction. All of United it's, said about Lingard doing the moonwalk in the Emirates. This yeah, that's is, exactly same thing. This is that's your guy here. It just, yeah. Andros has bottled it in the interview after. So I was paying homage to him. That, He's my that was 
absolute cowardice that. I he hate some that. shit out of the ring. Stick well. with it. That's, Which is a bad look from Ronaldo. That's a coward's move. He's coming to your house. He's danced on your porch. <laughs> and then taken the doormat with him. I do He's think... Um, I do think uh, Ronaldo's reaction has, I'd be honest, created a lot of this as well. Which, look, it's, it's a double-edged sword of signing him. But I do think his reaction as he's walking off the pitch only fuels speculation that the media want to bring up. I thought that just meant he was a winner and no one else on that pitch wanted to win. <laughs> so the fact he stormed down the tunnel, I saw Rio like, that's a manager's dream, man. Because you've got a winner there. I don't think Oli's seeing that going, this is what I want to be working with. He's, he's not going into that dressing room going, oh, looking forward to this. <laughs> Well, one of the I bet he I didn't heard. make eye. Co- I bet he didn't make eye contact with Ronaldo in that <laughs> yeah, dream room after yeah. that. Well, one one of the questions that I had I had for you was um, we've spoken on here plenty of times about the fact that these Liverpool players are willing to fight the clock. You see that every time they go out onto the pitch, you see it with the reactions on the pitch after. We we can talk about this a bit later, but I believe the Arsenal players fight for Arteta. Whether they should or not is another issue. Um, do you think these United players will fight for him? Because I think they're just comfortable. I think this is like the latter years with Wenger. Oli takes the flak. They get an easy ride. Aside from Pogba, maybe, the rest of them do get an easy ride. I don't think they're fighting for him at any stage at all. I think it's just convenient because he's there. I think a lot of them, he's like a mate. It's like just work, work, working for a mate. And it's maybe not even a mate you expect. It's maybe... A mate who's got more money and he's going to get the new FIFA and you can all go around his house. I don't know what it is, but I don't see them going out saying, we need to make sure Ollie keeps his job. I think they say, if they drop the points here, a lot of them can go back and they can have a, a nice evening out and not take much flat because is Ollie the right man for United? Is going to be the headline the next day rather than this left back is uh, not putting a shift in or this centre-back pairing with these Champions League winners and this England star man aren't keeping the goals out, or we've got a right-back who can't defend or go forward. <laughs> Everything just goes back to Ollie. You hear the odd other comment, but predominantly, no matter what they do on the pitch, the questions come for Ollie before anyone else. No, that's a fair point you make. This could be a comparison, with, like you said, like the, the latter Wenger years. Um, I, I said partly in, in sympathy to Ollie which is quite hard to have when he's acting like a bell. But um, he is in the, the basically where he's ultimately doomed, where when they win, it's the players. When they lose, it's him. And ultimately, that only yeah. ends that only ends one way. Um, but your, your point about uh, do the players sort of recognise that, you, you could be right. That is probably where Ronaldo's actually maybe a bit different to the rest, uh, which the, the he's a winner thing is horribly overplayed I absolutely yeah. agree with you but his actually will be different to the rest of them in terms of some professionalism I think otherwise I think some could be comfortable I think you're absolutely right that I, I get that impression Because, but I don't as think... we have touched on before under pressure Ollie is dangerous Ollie yeah, you yeah. get a result when they need to I, I don't think they dislike him in any way I think they're all very happy with him being there I just don't think he garners the respect in that they're going no, to go out no, there and absolutely. put their bodies on the line for him. Where we've seen before recently, if there's a chance for United 
to go over. If they're wobbled, they aren't fighting to stay on their feet. They're more than happy to take a knee and uh, take the eight count and get back to their feet and fight another day. It's. I think we all know it doesn't end well. We're basically just waiting to see when is it going to end. And for us three here, long may it continue. Yeah, yeah, that's it. As long as it's not against uh, us, I want him to get a couple of wins in the next game so that yeah. he can ease the pressure back off. I don't I don't want him going and getting Conte in or something. Although, again, that, that could be one that could blow up as well. That could be quite fun to watch. But You'll take one no, for the team, won't you, AJ? You let them, you let them pick maybe a late equaliser or even just get a win late against you to keep them in a job. You'd do that for everyone else. Nah, I, I mean, oh, I, I, don't worry, Alex. Oh, I'm not sure there's going to be a lot like of letters. I feel like Spurs have uh, given away enough sort of like lake equalizers <laughs> and stuff in recent times. So keeping our testing energy up. If you had to put money down, if they've got this run of games coming up, do you think he makes it to Christmas or not? Uh, I think he does, personally. Uh, so that's yeah. why. Yeah, I, I think he makes it to Christmas by doing literally the bare, the bare <laughs> like minimum, like just getting over the line, just enough where you can't really, <laughs> you can't say it's a certainty. So, I think part of it is the fact that there isn't a clear man out there to take over. Like the the Mourinho one, when he's available, and. Um, the clock yeah, one with us is the, one of the best examples, isn't it? Is where we yeah. might have persevered with Brendan, but once Klopp's there, you're like, well, we can't not. I was going to save this question for later, but I'll ask it now. Um, we're going to get on to Leicester losing a 2-0 lead. In theory, if Leicester sacked Brendan, do you think United would take him? Uh, are we, uh, you say in theory, is this he hasn't managed Liverpool before? Because they will make a thing of that. They won't. So go for I'm, a, a I'm sacked saying, Liverpool manager. So, so there we go. So I'm talking about like in yeah. the next couple of weeks. Oh, they sack uh, him. United are struggling. Do they pick him up? He's the exact man he, he is now. Just yeah. If if on his credentials alone, I think they would be stupid not to. But having with the context of like I said, a sacked Liverpool manager, they never. So would. I think, think even do it. No, even even if you know Leicester were flying and suddenly he was interested in the Man United job and he was like hot, hottest property. I still don't think they would just because of the, the optics of it, I don't think. Which is a bit crazy to me, but I think that's, that's the truth. It probably has to be very bad under Oli, wouldn't it, where the, where you can get away with it almost because the grass is greener here. Yeah, you'd have to be. I, I genuinely think pushing like sort of like the relegation zone where they go, right, we just need someone to save us here. I do think, and part of it is just the way they handled it, I think Spurs' pursuit of a manager this summer has terrified a lot of big clubs. And I think we may see some of these guys kept in a job longer. Just because of how public that was and the fact that, I mean, I would hope if United were going for five, six managers, the names would be stronger. And I think Spurs fans wouldn't even argue with that particularly. But I, I don't know. Are United going to go and get Zidane? I don't think so. Conte, mm. I don't, I don't know. United want to deal with a manager like that again. No, I'm, I'm not sure. Has, has, has kind of put them off doing that. I, th- I oh, think there's I there's also there's a, a thing of whatever we might think about the owners and the criticism of them, whatever. I think as long as they are in that top four and in contention at least, at least can seem to be challenging. I think they'll be comfortable and, like you said, probably don't need the headache of a manager like mm. Conte. Or is it a little bit easier? 
for them in that sense. I think if Poch gets sacked, we'll, we'll then see what they fancy doing. But it, again, his his stock is not high if he gets sacked from there, is it? It's, they seem it's, like they've been enamoured with him, though, for, for it, a long time. Agreed, agreed. But then they weren't enamoured enough to hang fire and not give Ollie the job and hang around for him when they probably could have nicked him off Spurs. And in the meantime, think- he's done a worse job with PSG and Tuchel's ended up winning the Champions League with Chelsea. What I was going to say, do you think Tuchel's success actually goes in Poch's favour there? I think I think it's... Uh, I don't know, because he's doing worse than Tuchel at PSG as well. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Old, I, I think he looks like... The criticism of him was that he's basically a nearly man and Tuchel having a success only adds to the idea he's a nearly man. I know, I know what you mean. You'll say, well, at least yeah. it shows Tuchel's a good manager. But I think it, it just ends up highlighting maybe that Poch isn't that top level. So I think they may stick with him then just out of a lack of options. Ten Hag doesn't seem in a, in a, in a rush to leave. Zidane looks like he wants to go to France. I, I think he may be... Nagelsmann's a Bayern, so you don't really have anywhere to go. No, and Conte, as, as we've just said. I think, I, I, and There is a significant enough faction within Man United fans who do think he's bulletproof and wanting to stay with guards as well. I, I know it's it's probably a minority in the grand scheme of things, but it's a significant minority, I'd say, whether you can hide behind that a little bit and say, well, look, he does retain the support of the fans. I, think I, I also think, you... in, in credit to them, this is going to sound a little bit odd, but I don't think Man United do like Sacramento. They, if you look at each of them, the Moyes maybe could have got a bit more time, but Moyes, Van Halen, and Mourinho, there was an argument with all of them that they'd run their course long before they ended up getting sacked, in fact. And they kind of let it play out and like, right, you've got to go now. So I think they'll probably do a similar volley. I think once we've got... Actually, it's a long way away. I was going to say, I think we're going to be interesting after the next World Cup when you look at Mancini, you may not fancy international management anymore. Luis Enrique may not fancy it. And then you might see teams starting to be ruthless again when there's the options out there. But yeah, I think I think they, they stick with Oli. And as you've both said, He's going to do just enough to keep him there. In, in boxing terms, he kind of gets backed up onto the ropes, but just throws enough punches that the ref can't jump in and stop it, doesn't he? The crazy thing with them is, and I, I do resent the, the online thing, that um, there's an agenda against the club and against Ollie, which is always uh, crazy ridiculous. But if they do nick a couple of goals in some of these games, say they've got four more points and they're top of the league of 18 points, everyone's going to suddenly be talking about Man United are the real deal, so they can, they can win this. But it's the same team. You'd have been the same shite performances. They would have just lucked into a couple more wins. So it's, uh, it is funny how sort of, um, flexible and how fragile that yeah. can be. These next 10 games, traditionally, they aren't the fixtures that they would struggle with. So they may come out of this and we may get a, a short kind of boost for them before they come crashing down again. Yeah, I, th- I think the international break has come at a, a timely for him yeah um if we then move on and so the 5 30 kickoff that day we did have arsenal uh, a rainy night in brighton um only rained for the arsenal players um i'd like to point out but <laughs> got a nil nil in the end um couple got of on the hill now. yeah yeah well i'm gonna get into that actually I mean, um Life without Xhaka continues. Um, I, keep, I feel like I keep saying that we've said this before, but a lot of this ground, we, we have gone over just a, a different day. But the issue with Xhaka is you, you notice him a lot more when he's not there than when he is. Um, and I mean, 
you don't necessarily want him to be your first choice starting midfielder, but as every manager has kind of based their team around him so much, you really do notice that he's not there when Arsenal have to be without him. They created this formation in where Tierney goes forward as like a left midfielder and then the left-sided central midfielder drops in as almost like a wing-back slash kind of wide centre-back. And Arsenal chose to stick with that. I thought they may go to the 4-3-3 they played against Burnley. Instead, Lokonga was essentially tasked with the Xhaka role. Mm. Um, Arsenal had a, a nice open in five minutes. I think Saka got the ball down, got it down burn, which if you're a little five-foot-something winger, that's the guy to get at, isn't it? Like <laughs> Later in the game, they kept punting the ball high in the air to Saka, and they're the balls he was never going to win against Dan Burn. But after about five minutes, you did get the sense this was going to be a long 90 minutes for Arsenal. Um, the first half in particular, Tommy Asu uh, had, a, had a rough night, particularly in the first half. Um, I did think as bad as he played, he did still offer some kind of presence where I don't think they were willing to kind of put all their eggs in one basket and just get at him like we've seen with, say, Chambers at Swansea, where you, you had the sense that this man is literally on toast. But I still <laughs> did feel like Tommy Asu had a certain level of, whether it be positional awareness, whether it be just the size of him and kind of at him just being there. I thought on a bad day, he clearly did enough to not make anything uh, too crucial and concede um, in that way, whether it be trying to force your way back into the game, bring someone down, or maybe just try too hard. Laconga, I see, get a lot more praise, and I think it's, I think it's because he's young. But I thought him and Party really struggled. Party mm. in Jacker's absence really does have to step up. You, he has to be a guy that's dominating the game. Brighton were without Basuma in all of the Arsenal without Jacker things, and they looked like they missed him a lot less than we miss Xhaka. And if you were to poll a set, a set of 100 fans and say, do you think you'd miss Basuma being in your team or Xhaka being in your team? I know which one you'd think you would feel yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, usually you see, don't you, where the game kind of goes, one team has it for a kind of a spell of attacking, this team has it, and you kind of go back and forth. After about 20 minutes, I didn't ever really feel like Arsenal were going to be in the game. It didn't feel like the first half Liverpool City, you still did feel that when Liverpool got forwards, there was a chance that they could get on the end of something. Yeah, It didn't feel like that watching this Arsenal game. In fact, it just 45 minutes sooner, I thought, I just want this game to be over. <laughs> I imagine <laughs> you weren't the only one. No, I thought we made um, Cucurella look like a world beater there. He, he, he had the freedom of the pitch, it seemed. I guess, and it feels quite small teamish to say this. I can only praise the resilience of kind of defending that 18 yard box when you look at Tommy Asu on a bad day, but Tierney, Ben White, and Gabrielle in particular, because for all of the dominance that Brighton had, I think they had one shot on target. Mm. So they clearly did something right in that aspect. The biggest issue I thought was when we actually got their defenders. I didn't feel they they weren't there to be got at. The issue was progressing it through the midfield to get there. 
like Smith Rowe, I didn't feel like he didn't have a shot against the defenders. I said we saw Saka early on in the game. They just didn't get it forward enough, and it's just the same thing we do see with Arteta is the chances like that Smith Rowe one. I don't. Do you think that was an easy enough pass across? I thought Shane Duffy did really well to kind of block off the channel. No, he, he did. He did. Um, on a on a different day, he does probably make that pass. Um, yeah. Whether the conditions partly had an impact on your performance, I don't know. I might be giving you a bit of a pass there. But the uh, I do think games like this really do expose a different level of coaching. I think if you look at yeah, for sure. if you look at those two teams on paper, the fact that Brighton are the ones that dominate the ball and get it forward, like you said, um, and you weren't really threatening attacking-wise, is, is absolutely crazy. I mean, if you'd swapped, if you gave Grandpa some of the personality you've got yeah, available yeah. to him, I think you'd, you know, you'd be a, certainly a great watch and a frightening prospect. I think, I think you, because obviously, like you said, they don't get many shots on goal at Brighton for the football they do play. But the the more talent that he would be able to have, I think he could, he could work something really good. Because that Arsenal team was plenty of attacking and turn. I would probably say it's probably your best eleven you could have had. Outside of Shaka, that's our best team, I think. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, just if you you wouldn't have known that watching that game, no. you wouldn't have known. There seems to be a thing, whether it be with Arsenal fans, whether it be with pundits, that they think the football under Arteta is just going to kind of click at some point and you're going to get constantly yeah. the game that you had against Spurs last week. I do think every so often you're going to get the football like that. I, I must say, I've watched the highlights back of that Arsenal-Spurs game more times than I would like to admit. I think it might be the worst midfield performance in Premier League history. Like, yeah, yeah. The it's... fact that it just wasn't there and it did for some Arsenal fans, pundits, myself included, it does gas you up because you, you look at that 45 minutes and you think something, they found some kind of formula there <laughs> for this to work. And it just so happened that Brighton, whether it was the, the personnel that they would want to have in there, they at least had the bodies in that midfield and there was no easy way of getting it from front to back. And they really made us work for it. They pressed up, they pressed um, up front. The fact that they had so many shots going out, they were able to reset for every goal kick and just go again. And I did write down while watching the game that watching Arsenal for the, the, the amount of time I've had, you look at some games where you're like, the passing on the back isn't working here, just give up. And I was quite pleased that there seemed to be a conscious decision after about 20 minutes, like, this isn't going to work today. This is either not the conditions or the way they're pressing. Let's not do anything stupid here. And mm. Ramsdale acknowledged in his interview after that his kicking wasn't where it should be, which is quite nice to hear him come straight out and say that, actually. Mm. I think if you look at up to the first international break, there was zero points. Obviously, I think we conceded nine goals, maybe, in the first three games. Um, and then you look, since we've come back, played four, won three, drawn one, 10 points from 12, three clean sheets. If you'd offered me that before, I would have taken it. I don't mean this with any disrespect to Spurs. I think we're in very similar positions. If Spurs are going away to Brighton in the form they're in in particular... I look at that as a game where I kind of pin my hopes and say, I hope Brighton can get something from this game. In fact, I hope Brighton can 
beat Spurs here. So I don't think it's the worst point in the world. It just doesn't feel very nice when you feel it's a point gained rather than two lost when you're playing Brighton as Arsenal. Yeah, you are You are right that, you know, if you'd said to me before the game this ends in the draw, I wouldn't have been overly uh, overly shocked. We know what Brighton are and how good they are at this point. But uh, you are right. It is a kind of sad indictment on the club that, that's kind of probably seen as an alright result. And maybe that's a concern about the the players as well. I do, I do wonder if any of them are particularly disappointed to draw with Brighton, which they they should be really, shouldn't they? They should be going there and yeah. having the belief that we can go there and do it. We know that Brighton, are, you know what what Graham Potter's doing there. But some of these players, you'd hope have the personality to say, right, we want to go and win this game, and, and you never really got that feeling. I didn't think. I thought Aubameyang after about ten minutes was sulking. Um, I don't think the way the balls were going up to him were helping. I, I feel like I keep digging spurs out here, but the comparison is the last two games. I think it flattered Aubameyang that for a guy that isn't particularly dominant in the air, whether it's when even scoring headers, he, he won the most aerial duels on the pitch against Tottenham, which said a lot about how the game went. Against oh, yeah. Brighton... He, he barely had a sniff. And then when the ball was coming into his feet, he had a first touch like a United Lukaku in Timberlands. <laughs> it, the, the, the issue was neither Lacazette or Aubameyang really fit this system. Aubameyang can't hold the ball up and Lacazette can't get in behind. So you're stuck with essentially having yeah. to pick one or the other. I thought Lacazette did really help when he came on in terms of just slowing the game down and actually making it stick at the other end of the pitch. But it wasn't pleasant. Brighton have kind of created this rivalry with Arsenal as well after beating us in the Gwendouzi game where they were tweeting pictures of Mope kind of uh, doing the like crying celebration before <laughs> the game and they were really kind of hamming it up and so when the ball seemingly was about to drop to his feet on about 82 minutes, I shut it very briefly but Ramsdale again for all the critique that we've had and what we thought about the signing going in, I thought he was one of the few Arsenal players that could kind of hold their head up high when he was walking off the pitch. Has he made yeah. you a believer yet? Uh, <laughs> uh, he hasn't put a foot wrong so far, has he? So he started well. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how he goes. Yeah. Um, Gabriel lost two teeth this time. Uh, he lost one against Brighton uh, last time out. Um, he has got a new dentist, I can confirm. I did read that this morning. Uh, he went for emergency surgery after um, we got back from uh, Brighton. Him and him and Ben Watt, I think, is a nice partnership. I like what is kind of building there. You've got the very aggressive Gabrielle and you've got Ben White kind of cleaning in behind. One of the big differences in the Spurs game is, I guess, Brighton know Ben White better than anyone. And they essentially cut off that channel for the keeper to give it to him and him to open the game up then from right at the back. So they they had a game plan and I thought they executed theirs brilliantly, all but finding the net. And with Arsenal, when Partey has a bad game, Erdegaard has a bad game, Aubameyang has a bad game, Saka has a, has a bad game, you're doing very well to then get a result out of that afterwards, aren't you? That's probably the worst game Erdegaard's had in an Arsenal shirt, to be fair. Yeah, and it was... I'll be honest, it was kind of not quite, but almost every sort of um, 
stereotype of what you would think an Arsenal dropped points game would look like. Uh, an away day with pissing down rain where some of, your yeah, more, yeah. some of your more luxury players maybe don't turn up is probably what some people would, would be the stick some people would use to beat you with. Erdegaard, moving forwards, and Arteta's going to have a lot of time to think about this for this international break. Would you drop him deeper in where Lekonga was playing? Because I, I do think if he's insisting to stay with this system where you almost become a left back, then that's not where you want Erdegaard. But no, just having some extra quality a bit deeper in the pitch because you were really relying on getting it into the final third before you had any kind of creativity. Uh, I think it would really have to be the right game to drop Odegaard in there. Um, as you said, I, th- I think there's just um, just a little bit too much probably responsibility in there for him yeah. uh, on the defensive end a little bit. Uh, really, if we, with Xhaka out, you're at, the emphasis is on the party really to get on the ball Absolutely. a little bit more yeah. and feed it from deep. Um, and Lekonga can do some of the uh, sort of more running around and mopping up, if you like. Um yeah, he, he's going to have to take up the mantle because I do yeah. feel like uh, as much I quite like Party and I did when he was at Atletico, but I do think he sometimes benefits from he might do like one pass or something where people think, oh, that's special and kind of convince himself that that means he's played well where when you look at it a bit closer, he didn't do a lot more. I think there's too many games where sometimes he can allow that to happen. Um, I can only hope that he's got his injuries out of the way because as I mentioned before, <laughs> his injury record is phenomenal when you take yeah. his early start at Arsenal so I'm hoping because <laughs> if he gets injured we really are screwed yeah um, that, that won't be fun but you just hope now that with a run of games because it's, it's so frustrating much like a lot a lot of the players he showed what he can do against Spurs and I know the midfield he didn't have a lot to play against but even just in the way that he was just nipping in getting the ball and he had the one pass to Aubameyang which kind of goes into what you've just said but he, he showed everything he can do in that game other than shoot, I think he should start being fined. <laughs> so you <he> say that. <laughs> that free kick where we'd finally had a chance to get up the pitch and he's blazed it over from about 35 yards out. If I'm Arteta, maybe not Arteta actually, if you're anyone else, you're, you're pulling your hair out there. <laughs> yeah, he's because not Because it, it made no sense to do that. And I, I, I don't know. Alex, when, we, when it comes to Arsenal, you were probably more smug than you should have been after the the North London derby defeat, but you, you spoke about things kind of coming crashing down. Did you think that was crashing down against Brighton or going in, would you have hoped for more from them against us? Is, I thought it was... Did a, 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 a smile on your face? Uh, I, I thought... Uh, no, I was disappointed. I, I thought that was a massive point for Arsenal. Can't stop taking shots, can he? I mean, I guess a... a point in that previously we might have lost that game um, more frail times but yeah I don't think any Arsenal fans came out of the game disappointed with a point as much as they can say that I think that's very much thinking we're the Arsenal they're Brighton we should have a win I think uh, anyone that watched the game can't be disappointed with a point that that is the kind of game that I would have expected you to lose not like putting aside putting aside that it's Arsenal v Brighton. There is clearly off history a bigger side there. Um, that is the kind of game in recent years which I would have had you down to lose after a big win. I, I just that the fact that you got a draw 
was quite and we move yeah and it was another clean sheet which is the vital thing there i mean what is that you haven't conceded in four now because either one no no oh yeah of course you did yeah didn't one, feel like we scored goal, against you but one goal in, in, fact, in fact in fact you you actually made me forget that we scored a goal against you because when you opened up the pod last week you said arsenal beat tottenham 3-0 did I? <laughs> it's just like yeah feel like yeah. A 3-0 after 40 minutes yeah i, I know move, I, I know I know, I know. Do, do you know the funny thing was as well? Like I couldn't. I was, I was going to um, was try. Obviously, after the game, I was like, obviously trying to avoid escape it. And uh, obviously, you've got the women's, uh, the women's uh, league on, uh, like a lot. Arsenal flying there as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. You got that. You got the women's league a lot more like out there now. You're getting yes, on Sky all the time. Yeah, about it. And it keeps on throwing me off because I keep on. Seeing that um, I, I've forgotten what the abbreviation is, but it keeps on throwing. Oh, yes, it's the it's the the men's game. Um, but after that, after we lost to you, it popped up saying Arsenal ahead against City, and I was like, "What? <laughs> they've got now? They've yeah, gone to Man City?" I think just before we we move on to uh, the next game, I, I don't think it's going to be too long until some more attention starts being paid to Gabriel's performances because since he's come in, much like Ramsdale, I don't really think he's put a foot wrong. If it was a United player losing two teeth um, in the middle of a game, I don't think you'd be hearing the end of it, to be honest with you. I um, <laughs> I think it's, it's just refreshing to see a defender, this feels a bit cliche, that enjoys defending and just someone that seizes the initiative. I, I love an aggressive centre-back when there's some substance to it. When it's not someone like David Louise, and you, you feel like when they're charging in, there is danger here. When it's, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I used to get it with Socrates as much as I did love him. I think with Gabriel, it seems at least considered in how aggressive he is. And then on paper and from what we're seeing at the moment, Ben White seems like the perfect kind of counterbalance for stepping off and then cleaning up in behind if you get past what's supposed to be your brick wall in front. So I think it's just nice to know who your centre-back partnership is, not worry about Pablo Mari being in there, whether it be in David Luiz in there, whether it be in whoever else is going to be in there. It's just nice to kind of know who your back four is going into games. Um, Tottenham then. So Spurs weren't on TV yesterday. Um, seeing the highlights back on uh, Match of the Day, unfortunately, was had goal updates on as uh, the game was going through. Um, the first thing that really caught my eye, um, Alex, was Sun just seemed far more direct than he certainly did whether against Arsenal. Just the, the difference, he seemed far more considered to seize the mantle and kind of get at things, and particularly when Kane isn't firing, showed how important that is yesterday. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Looked like a completely different player. He looked a lot more like the player that we saw against City on the opening day of the season. Um, not really sure. Like, there was more width in the squad um, at the weekend, uh, like a bit more, which I don't know whether that uh, gave him more space to operate in. Um, I don't know if it was more of a reflection of Villa's defensive capabilities and their vulnerabilities allowing him to play up. Obviously, uh, Skip started. Uh, 
and I think that freed up that side a little bit more. Um, when you've got Deli Ali playing, he does really slow things down and tends to hold up the play a lot more. And you've got Kane when he collects at the moment, he tends to do the same as well. I don't know if that extra bit of life in Skip just allows that the, that pace driving forward from him initially to open up the gaps of Sun was there. Um, obviously, he had a, a Numbele uh, sitting in behind Kane. Um, he had a good game. Um, again, I did say before the start of the match that I baffled as to why he's starting still. I think I'm trying. I think I'm starting to come round to the idea that okay, he may not want to be at the club, but he's prepared to put in a decent enough performance to justify him starting when our other options aren't great. I still start. I know Gill is a winger, um, but I think there's players that you could maybe, if you want to stick Gill on the wing, you could maybe stick somebody else behind and Belly in that starting line, behind Kane in that starting lineup, Um, and then. But I, I think the way that the, I still don't think there's enough width there, and I still think the defensive vulnerabilities are there. As good as Romero's game was, um, it was his game really came from his distribution rather than yeah. his defensive capabilities. They uh, still got Aaron Dyer next to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would like to go. I would like to see the team go to five at the back still, uh, like you were highlighting at the start of the season. I think that's the way the direction the squad needs to go in at yeah. the moment. Um, I wondered, so I used to find um, with Arsenal, particularly last season, you, you never had to dwell on a result too long because you did have that midweek fixture. Um, obviously, the standard of opposition isn't quite the same, but you kind of get a game you can enjoy. I wondered, the fact that this this conference league, when the teams are bad, they do seem to be almost another level of bad, like you saw on Thursday night. Was that much of a refresher for you or were the levels kind of that poor that it, it didn't do too much for kind of your mood or expectations going in to Sunday? Uh, yeah, the the second option, it didn't really do much for me. Um, it, didn't, it didn't change my feelings towards knowing after the North London derby defeat, we had Villa next um, and they've looked all right so far this year. Um, so I didn't, I didn't go into the game against Villa after the the win midweek, thinking, all right, the guys are going to be riled up after that. They're going to be ready to go. They're going to be, they're just going to come out there swinging, and they're going to show the side. Well, show some of, of what the side can be. Um, I just, <laughs> in a way, I thought like the midweek match at most was going to be a positive training match, which I know can do can do some, you know, positive things for the squad, but there are levels here to yeah. the level of play, the level of uh, the team that we're up against. You you might be more negative than me then, because in our bad form, I mean, you had me looking forward to Dundalk on a Thursday night, <laughs> whether it's to see Al Nenny and the boys um, going out there and kind of seeing what you could do. I do, I wondered how how short it made your week feel because the start of the season this particularly after the loss to Brentford the 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 week without having a european game felt so long i was about to, to say this is a man who's experiencing withdrawal symptoms from european yeah, football yeah absolutely um, but i did see i did watch that spurs game and granted the fact that it wasn't arsenal does make a difference and thought i'm not even sure i could be excited for this like it 
it looked like there's only so. I think you can convince yourself. But once you hit four nil on like amateur on FIFA, you're like, I I can put the pad down. Like I don't need to score twenty. I can just let the computer have a run around it. And I didn't know if that made a difference at all, or if Alex is happy to either just skip the Thursday games, or if you do still have an interest in them. Because this is obviously the first time of having the Conference League. This, I know you have not probably Europa League level competition in some senses with with Ren in there, but this is meant to be a level below even the Europa, and we see some other teams in there. Yeah, I I, I can't. You start getting your juices flowing. No, not not at all. Um, whether that was all of the the banter that Tottenham got after we qualified for it at the end of last season. Um, like, I, I'm not sure, but... You were happy. Um, I I just think... I think I'd feel better about it if things were going better in the Premier League. I think that results... Basically, the results in results in that competition at the moment, I think, paper over the cracks. Um, they supposed to do. Yeah, but I don't think that's a positive thing for us at the moment. I I'm almost starting to think now, you know, there are some serious changes that need to be made. I mean, obviously the the fans association the fans association called for a meeting with uh, the Spurs board to ask about the direction of the club and to ask what the plans were and all that kind of stuff. I'd be interested to know if that will happen and what is said, um, or whether it's just an out of the I can have a guess. <laughs> yeah, not happening. Yeah, it's kind of. It's just. Yeah, I, I've, I'm got, not, I've yeah, got two on. more questions about Spurs. So, are you concerned at all about Kane? Because even just seeing the highlights, it looked like a man who was incredibly desperate to score. I mean, some of the he nearly had a nice goal. To be fair, from uh, the foul that he nearly lobbed Martinez yeah, yeah. with, but. Just in terms of that, do you feel the longer it goes, we spoke about it with Ronaldo, where sometimes he can get a goal or his attempts to get one can be to the detriment of the team. Do you worry about that moving forward with Kane, the longer it takes for him to get on the score sheet in the Premier League? Well, with Kane, I mean, obviously we are in different times with him now. Um, but we he quite often had a dry spell at the start of the season in previous years. Um, I think last season was the only season where that didn't happen, but obviously the circumstances with COVID and all of that was sort of changed the dynamic going into the season. But normally, traditionally, Kane does struggle to get off the mark initially at the start of the season. Um, So I'll give it a bit longer. Um, I think my main concerns with Kane are around his mindset about whether he really does want to be at the club anymore, which I think everybody can be in agreement. He wanted the move. Um, I do, I, I do understand what you're saying with regards to him being so desperate to get a goal that the team around him are going to suffer based on him being selfish when he shouldn't. Um, luckily, I think. He has got enough of a sort of 
the way that he, to be fair, so far he can be missing in the in the in the more important games. So far he's coming from so deep that he's not going to be at the right end of the pitch anyway to make to to make that to make that wrong decision. Um, but I'm thinking in other times, like an assist will somewhat quash uh, any kind of doubts around him, or quash any kind of doubts he has in himself in terms of the impact he's making in the game. The fact there's so much being made about his scoring drought and every time he, he doesn't find the back of the net, he's being told it's because he wants away, it's because of his body language. Every vampire film that you see, there's a point where they go for the animal blood and uh, eventually they find out that, that that doesn't quite satisfy them enough and they go on to uh, the heat <laughs> and stuff. Well, I'm not sure an assist is going to satisfy him enough where that would help him in terms of, uh, well, the thing of being is, involved in the team. Do you think he needs a goal? This kind of answers your question about the conference league, though, because he scored a hat-trick on Thursday. Yeah. And that's, that's how irrelevant it's seen as, is that it's like that didn't happen. So we're talking about his goal, and he needs a goal, and he looks short of confidence, he doesn't look fit, and does he want to be there? He scored a hat-trick in midweek, but those games are seen as so redundant <laughs> that we don't oh, even acknowledge it. I saw a tweet only saying only people have the nerve to doubt Harry Kane. <laughs> he's the only player in uh, he's the only player in history to score a hat trick in each European competition. Follow me. <laughs> some, some news came out today, Alex. Supposedly, um, Spurs have denied this um, to the Athletic, and they say that the terms of the deal with uh, Nuno is that it was a two-year contract and if you don't come in the top six at the end of this season, then you can sack him without any compensation package. Um, now, Levy is being praised for this, as uh, as does seem to happen with him, no matter what it is, and they say he's the masterstroke, he's got this contract that's massively in favour of Spurs and they've had the winning hand. I know Nuno is always going to back himself, but in terms of the direction of the club that you mentioned there before, does that not feel like even going into the season, he knows that he's not up to much by the fact that he's kind of making contingency plans for the end of it? It's a it's an accountant's move again, isn't it? He's just thinking about losing the club as little money as possible. Um, and that is seems to be the priority with him at the moment. Um, I still like... With all the, the the missing success that we should have had with the squad that we've had in the last few years, um, you can't deny that from a business perspective, Tottenham have done really well in terms of growing the clubs, uh, growing the clubs. Um, uh, uh, like, uh, well, I've forgotten the word now. Brands, accounts, yeah, brands <laughs> global level, yeah. and somehow managing to stay financially stable in these difficult times. It is an accountant's move. Um, I I do think that probably what happened with Mourinho has scarred, well, got him worried a little bit in terms of he doesn't want to get caught out or be in a situation again no. where he's having a massive payout. Like basically, he has to choose between letting him run out of the cup or a massive payout. I think he wants to have that power over anybody who comes in. Mm. You could maybe argue that it's... Uh, like extreme motivation for Nuno in terms of that you need to, you know, you're not getting a nice little, there's no cushion here at all. You, you've got to make this work. It could be added motivation in a hardcore way. 
Um, I am a little bit surprised, actually. I didn't know about the story until you mentioned it now, but I am a bit surprised because obviously the hunt for a manager for Tottenham was no easy affair, as we've already mentioned on this episode. And uh, it did have kind of had the feeling that they approached Nuno and had to go back to him. Um, whether that, that for me, if you were to sort of twist my arm and say, how do you think that went down? I think it was they couldn't come to an agreement with Nuno um, and they had to go and look elsewhere and then Supposedly, had to with an offer. Supposedly, stuff, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Um, it? It's weird. Like that, I, 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 to be honest, I was expecting you when you started to talk about the the contract that he was had. I was expecting it to go in the complete opposite direction. I was expecting like some silly payout or certain contingencies in place to just to get him to take on the job at the moment because, I, yeah, God, God, yeah, it's it's a bit weird. I'm a little bit. I'm scratching my head at that one, but yeah. bottom line is, I think it was an accountant's move. Well, the game that we had on at the same time yesterday was Leicester, who uh, surrendered a 2-0 lead against Crystal Palace. TK, someone who's had um, experience in this uh, regard um, last season. Um, No, no, I don't know what I'm going to say yet. Um, Is it as simple as Leicester being without their two first-choice centre-backs, or is there more to it than that? Because... Soyuncu and Vestergaard aren't a bad backup pair if you have to have one. It's certainly not like Nat Phillips coming in, is it? With all due respect. No, no, that's... You would look at that as good strength and depth and a, and a decent back four with Bertrand and Castagna on either side as well. That, yeah. You would bat that for most teams, wouldn't you? So, um, yeah, the Fafana injury has, is obviously a huge thing for them. He was obviously looking very good. Um I think the nature of the performances in general have to be the concern. Though, if you look, I know Palace are sort of an improved football team under Vieira in terms of how they play, but they have more of the ball than Leicester. Like, how often would that happen? No. Leicester are a pretty good possession team. And Palace had 60% of the ball. Um, and I don't think a draw was unfair on Palace. I think they were they were unfortunate to be 2-0 down um, looking at the highlights that I saw. So I don't, I don't quite, I don't quite know it? what's going on with Leicester, but it's not looking good for them at the minute. Is it bringing back any memories for you? Because some managers <laughs> we, we've seen can kind of things start going wrong. They steady the ship and they and they get things kind of back on track. The, these performances this season for Leicester, both in the Europa League and in the Premier League, just aren't good at all. Is it a case of when things go wrong for Brendan, he's not going to be able to steady this ship? It, it is going to be interesting with that because I've I have thought that that. That's basically once it starts to unravel, he, he kind of can't get it back. Um, and I, not just him, numerous managers have that as well. Once it starts going wrong, it's, it's very, very hard to, to sort it. Um, obviously, the, the key difference between his Leicester team and, say, his time at Liverpool, for example, that you can quite clearly see that the signings in his last one weren't right. And so you can explain the performances away, the change in performance away down those lines. This Leicester team hasn't made, you know, like bad signings like we did with Balotelli no, no. and Lambert, etc. It's still a really good team that was getting results at the end of last year. So it's it's very hard to sort of put your finger on what's going wrong there. Because there was a point as well, probably a season and a half ago, if we look, if we go back to when um, Emery was sacked, there was the rumours of uh, Brendan coming to Arsenal. He signed a new deal, and I think the feeling at Leicester 
very much then was they missed the Champions League once. They were doing well the second time around. And I think it was almost like Leicester were luckier to have Brendan than, than the other way around. He oh, was sure. certainly one of the hottest properties there. The fact that they sat Ranieri after winning the Premier League for them shows that they can be ruthless when they need to be. I'm not sure there's the same feeling there now that Leicester can't survive without Brendan Rodgers, just the way they're set up and everything to do with that. Should he, when we look at the likes of Oli and we, we look at, um, I mean, we've had Nuno in the mix, we've had Arteta in the mix, should Brendan's name be in and around those when it comes to the, the sack race? Because I guess with the investment he's had, the players that he's got, I don't know how long they'll settle for this kind of thing. I know what you mean, because there has been more investment than people seem to think. Um, I will say, obviously, we're only a few months removed from him having won the FA Cup for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe you look at them good. winning the Prem with Ranieri and they sat yeah. two months yeah. before, this September the following year he should have you know, had a bit more cash in the bank and, and I would think Brendan should as well it's, I can never get too far away with Leicester thinking like what is this club kind of expecting in terms of I, I, you know they're not they're not a huge club um, and he's maybe going to fall victim of his own success whereby he's had them hovering around the Champions League places yeah, and now if he falls anything below that, it's going to look like it's not good enough. Um, yeah. I think he should be given more time, but you are right. This could, I mean, if he came up after the international break, and ironically for all the talk about Oli, if United, I think that's the first game back in United and them, whoever loses that is probably under a big spotlight. Because part of it with him, I thought before, is the fact that he does have this as such a stable run club now. Is I don't think there's a fear that they can't get someone else in to do just as good of a job. Like All the pieces are in place. It's not like if you sack Sean Dyche at Burnley and you're like, yes, this guy yeah. is like moving mountains with this squad. We don't know who else can do this. I think you look at some of the pieces they have in place and they've got to think maybe would they do expect better because of I the standards he set. I think... Um... And I think that perception might not even be accurate on their part, but I think they will have it. I think they will think, as you said, that look, we're we're stable. Whoever comes in can do all right with this team. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. Actually, I think they should be very careful what they wish for. But I think, I think that mentality may well exist in the club. On on the other side, actually, just a side note: if you look at the handshake after the game, I know he's a big man. Vieira looked huge next to Brendan when they do the handshakes. It was scary. Brendan also has this uh, freakish talent for making everybody look massive. Like, for example, I've seen him stood, I can't remember, it might have even been like Kenny Dalglish or someone, someone not big, and then ends up looking taller than Brendan. It's like, Brendan, you can't be that small, but somehow no. you seem to shrink in front of everyone. So Vieira, obviously, is definitely going. There was a point where it looked like Vieira's kind of like stood up on the dugout and like Brendan is like down in the bench. It was scary seeing it after the game. Basically, you I want Brendan in a picture next to you. You'll look massive. Yeah, I do remember Vieira like, is a tank. He's a, a big lad, yeah. Yeah. Um, The guy that really um, kind of stole the show was uh, Michael Elise. Um, came off the bench, really looked a player, um, very direct, just uh, kind of the weight of pass he had. Every time he was on the ball, he looked like he was going to create something. You'd imagine Palace fans aren't going to settle for seeing him on the bench next game because he, he looked kind of so talented and just almost like the perfect fit to have in there with Conor Gallagher and the likes. Funny how things change, isn't it? Because now yeah. Palace, particularly uh, normally just defensively strong, not much going forward. Now you've got 
him and coming into the mix. Gallagher's obviously been great. Edouard, Zaha, he's still got Eze to come back. It's interesting. Elise is eligible to play for England, France, Algeria and Nigeria. Um, his preference is rumoured to be Algeria. Blimey. The least glamorous of those from a football yeah. perspective. Um, I'm not too sure kind of uh, how his kind of family kind of branches off kind of which side's Algeria and kind of how close that is. I don't know if he's like so far removed from being French that he doesn't feel French kind of thing and Algerian is kind of close to home. I don't know how it works with him. Um, but yeah, that did catch me by surprise when, when I saw it. Um, Palace, I thought it was worth mentioning. They do look to have the kind of perfect blend of youth and experience that every manager kind of refers to. When you look at kind of like yesterday, they had Milohojevic um, next to Gallagher. You have yeah. in the fullbacks department, you've got Joel Ward and Tyrek Mitchell. Centre-back, you've got 26-year-old Joachim Anderson next to Mark Way. It just seems like they've just got it spot on in terms of the type of squad that they want for the direction they want to go in. Yeah, it, at the minute, yeah, the signs are good because even in the games where they drop points, you've seen uh, sort of the methods, what they're doing, uh, the things are headed in the right way. Um, do you think they're going to have to win some games? Some of the crucial ones, I think they've got uh, they may have Arsenal coming up, but I think they had someone like uh, Burnley coming up. You feel like you've got to win a couple of those games yeah, just yeah. to reaffirm it. Cause the last thing you want soon, I think. Right. So the last thing you want in their shoes is for things to look great, but slowly but surely you slip into the, sort of the relegation zone, and then you've got an inexperienced manager who doesn't know what, how to get out of it. But they they look a different prospect to what they've done under Roy, where they might throw a few more games away. They might have been a bit more solid under Roy, but they're going to be. Definitely more entertaining to watch and they're going to score more goals. And for that reason, you'd back them over a lot of the teams down there. Yeah, they've got Arsenal next on a Monday night at the Emirates. Um, then they're at home to Newcastle, away at City, then home to Wolves and Burnley after that. So, yeah. Yeah, so in that running game, you, you can, yeah, anything you get at City, they might fancy themselves getting something away at Arsenal, but it's not yeah, really but other than the City one, they'd be hoping to get some points in that one. And he'll probably, sort of how good or not a season they're going to have is probably going to largely depend on that, I would imagine. I don't know if you saw this story today with um, Southampton and um, Harsen Hootel telling them the what they needed to achieve to have a week off during the international break. Um, he told them that they couldn't lose any of the games against City, Wolves and Chelsea. <laughs> that feels a bit harsh. <laughs> yeah, that's savage. Um, and they end up drawing with City and losing to Wolves. But he's, he's given him a couple of days off, but not the week that uh, he said, basically, if they didn't drop points in those games, then they were obviously good enough. <laughs> they could have the time off and he didn't have to worry so much uh, about Leeds. But... Imagine when he tells you that, you're probably waiting for him to like break a smile or something. Like, yeah. right, he's, having a, he's having us on here, lads. There's no way. Yeah, you've definitely seen that um, in, a, in a book somewhere from one of the managers. Like, and you wouldn't believe it, they won all three games. But <laughs> didn't quite work so well for him. Um, if we go on to the Liverpool game then. So, Liverpool and City 
did the worst possible thing before an international break and kind of sent us into that with an absolute Barclays classic um, <laughs> to really just make you realise what you're missing. The first question I had, and this is before the game even started, did you think the game felt big enough for what it was? Um, the comparisons always go back to uh, Arsenal United and the, the rivalry they had there. Do you, do you think either just the rivalry isn't there between these teams, though the fact that there's so many teams competing now that it's not just down to two teams and that's really what it boils down to. What, what did you think it was? Because I don't know how it felt for you, but it didn't feel like this was like a title decider that you really had to kind of sink your teeth into there. It just seemed like two big teams that are, that are going to be in the mix. Well, I guess on the one hand, that's sensible because this shouldn't be anything like a title decider. We are in October. So I guess we were probably giving it appropriate billing. I think main, mainly there's there's two elements to what you said there, that this is a slightly different rivalry anyway, in terms of there's, yeah. it's a, the managers seem to quite like each other, certainly respect each other. So it doesn't have the needle that the old Man United and Arsenal once had, for example. And the fact that you do have at least Chelsea in the mix, maybe Man United, depending on who you talk to. As you said, there, there seems to be at, at this stage, it's not like it has been well, a couple of years ago, I should say now, where Liverpool and City with a clear front two. I don't yeah. think there's any sort of clarity over that at the minute. So you're right, it, it probably didn't, but I do think during the game, you started to think, oh, these two, you kind of had a reminder of like how yeah. good these two teams have been over the years because the level of the game, I thought, was unbelievable, really. Any United fans sat there watching that that was happy with a draw for any other reason than they disliked both teams needs to see a doctor. I, I did see someone caption it like uh, they said that was a perfect result for us, and then him saying like, "I can't believe you've watched that game and thought you're in a title race." Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some nerve, isn't it? Uh, it, it? It makes no sense. I mean, you said about the the rivalry there. I saw a tweet from someone saying that the Pep versus Klopp rivalry is so clear of Pep versus Mourinho, and someone pointed out the the level of hatred between Pep and Jose. Um, and I, I watched it back earlier, Jose saying that Pep hated football and that's why he's bold. <laughs> he said that if you truly love what you do, then you'd still have your hair. And even when he shaved his head when he joined Spurs, he said, what a good thing with me is mine will grow back in a month. Some other people we know aren't so lucky. <laughs> like, it, it was just like... That level of pettiness is levels. Madrid, Barca, you had Jose getting up, whispering things in Pep's ear, telling him, you think it's over, and things like this. Gouging members of the staff. Yeah, this is brilliant for different reasons. I think both almost uh, overdo it in some regards, trying to tell you just how much they respect the other person. Um, and you saw yeah, that with get, that. Get a room. Hugging a kiss after the game yesterday, Pep was dishing out. Um yeah. But in, in terms of the game, I mean, first half, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden looked on another level to anyone else. And that was Salah didn't have a bad half. Just Bernardo Silva in one move kind it's of about four showed, players, what City, yeah, mm. showed what City were all about yesterday. Um, and Liverpool, I guess, 
what big teams did this weekend. Arsenal did it against Brighton, Liverpool against City. You hang in there just long enough <laughs> exactly. to get the result at the end. I think of it. we were all thinking that, weren't we? I think that's <laughs> yeah. the parallel we were all drawing. Yeah. Um, Bernardo Silva, we spoke about it a bit last week. Um, a guy that I mean, you very rarely see managers come out and say effectively, like, this guy's on the transfer list, like, you're playing football manager <laughs> or FIFA. Like, you, you never see that. And he essentially did say in the summer, look, if, a, if someone comes in for him, he wants to leave. Since then, he's essentially made himself undroppable in a team where you don't need too many reasons to drop someone because the backup can't be too far behind. Um, I guess he showed what why City signed him, why there was so much hype of him coming out of Monaco. And I think we forget sometimes with how different it is with this Liverpool and City team, Liverpool is very clear. For as talented as you are across the pitch, you look at Salah, you look at Mane, and you expect those two to deliver. You look at this City team, and you, you can forget just how talented some of these players are just because of who else is surrounding them. And Bernardo Silva starts in any other team in the Premier League. He's just a freak in yeah, that he's, one he's, move. Yeah, he's... Not just starts, he's probably the best player on, yeah. on, on most teams. I saw teams, Arsenal it? fans debating whether we would take him in the summer. Yes, yeah, just insane. Uh, I remember we had the conversation where they said, look, if his attitude is that he wants to leave and he wants to join somewhere else, then he should be yeah. a bank of someone. As long as it's not yeah. a, you know, you're forcing him at your club, then he, he's because he's so, only a couple of years from being the best player in the league. And he played so, like it yesterday in the first half. So did you, so interestingly, um, so the, well, the various sport, the various uh, news networks did their standard uh, team combined X one before the match. Yeah, did any of you see the BBC Sport one? Yes. Um, so, so it was Manny and Salah up top, wasn't it? Yes. So it was mostly Liverpool players. You had Allison. So this, this was done by a vote, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so. uh, was it? Ah, uh, that yeah, makes it, it a bit more understandable. Because Bernardo Silva doesn't feature. You've got Allison, Alex Arnold, Van Dijk, Diaz, Robertson, and then De Bruyne, Fabinho, Foden, and then Salah, Mane, Grealish at top. I don't think he would feature in a lot of people doing that purely. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because in midfield, you're having De Bruyne and Fabinho probably nailed on up top. Foden did have a scream of a game, so he's hard to drop. <laughs> So yeah, he, would, he, he loves playing Liverpool. Players start. He does. That, do you, would you say that more Liverpool players start then? I wouldn't, but I can see. I don't think it, there's anyone there that it's egregious to have in the mix. Like there's no one. It, no, it, no, no, it's not like not. you put anyone there and they stand out like a sore thumb. Like at, at the moment of that team, the one that probably you look at um, Cancelo yesterday and you think he probably gets a, a fullback, but. Um, Honestly, I don't know what Cancelo's like done to Pep because I don't think I've ever seen him really play badly, and yet he just gets dropped no. so, like, every so often. Like, no, he got Cancelo's just the not Champions playing. League final for Zinchenko, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. He's, I, I don't know. He's he's a great player. I tweeted during the game, and I knew that he would then do something after that. Look, this you is a big game. That Kevin De Bruyne is stinking out, and I, I resented that. I, I I will confirm resented <laughs> that. I mean, he still had a pretty poor game. Other than oh yeah, and it wasn't a good goal, was it? Um, and he does this a lot. He did it in Champions League final, which really ground me down because I was seeing the, the kind of uh, 
people say and how upsetting it was for him because look, Champions League final, he's been injured in the way he did. He stuck the game out before that. He just got away with it by the fact that um, Rudiger kind of brutalised him. He, if we were looking at that 11 that Alex has just referred to, he'd be the one that you would look at just on the eye test yesterday and say, well, you're not getting, you're not getting in my team. You weren't one of the best 11 players on the pitch yesterday. The quality is obviously there, but you didn't ever feel like he was the guy that was going to step up and grab it by the scruff of the neck the way that Salah did. And I do think whether it's bitterness towards Salah as a Liverpool player, if you did a open poll across whether it be players, whether it be pundits, I still think most are probably going to say Kevin De Bruyne's the best player in the league, which I test numbers-wise, it's just not the case. Salah, different positions gets... De Bruyne hmm. out of this one, I think. Yeah, but yeah, for sure. I, I don't really think it's too much of an argument when you put everything together on a sheet of paper. No, I, I think it's a funny do you, thing. Do you not think? It's, do you not think it's the fact that De Bruyne isn't like a striker, isn't on the forward line, and he is a creative player. He's that guy who sits in behind that, the. That, that is would, like. That is more along the lines of they're giving him the benefit of the doubt in that respect rather than, it, like... That's fine. Not, if, if if he was playing at his peak and Salah was getting yeah. props ahead of him, then I would say, yeah, that's unfair because he doesn't play in the same position or whatever. But he isn't. He, Luke is right. He, he stamped the gaff out yesterday and he hasn't started this in that way, I don't think. If you look... No. and So if, you, if you're not the best... You're not the best Man City midfielder at the minute. We said Bernardo Silva's playing great. Foden was unbelievable. So... Uh, particularly with his, particularly with his injury record as well, uh, we'd expected him to see him out for a decent spell at least once this that's, season. Yeah, that's a good point. He to be, when he's when he is playing, he needs to be knocking out of the good. park. It's the thing that, not... There was opportunities for him in this game as well. I thought. I thought he picked up the ball in a couple of nice positions and, and wasted it a lot more than you'd normally see it. It's the thing as well. I don't want people listening to this and thinking that we're calling him a bot. But the thing is, we hold you have said other. That. We. <laughs> I probably did in the middle of the game yesterday because <laughs> I, I need Liverpool to lose ASAP so I can uh, have a bit of sentiment. Oh yeah, I meant to address this. On, I meant to address this on last week's pod. How much of a psychopath you are! You were talking <laughs> about this six games into the season. You've not got. We, we, we've seen that these things can drag on, and it, it gets a bit more uh, tense with each one. We were just talking about Chelsea losing the game, and then you just slightly just said in there, just need Liverpool to lose now, and then it's another season. So I was like, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> <laughs> with, with De Bruyne, like you, you listen to how we're talking about Kane and the, the 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 way we hold him up. If Salah didn't perform yesterday, then he would be picked out. You look at Bruno I mean, or Ronaldo at United. We're holding all these players such a high standard. You can't just let this one go under the radar. That's a good point. I mean, I mean, look, Salah's been criticised when he's you know, like he's scoring, but he's not playing well. Often is some of the criticism for him, and so. Yeah, he does see a little bit exempt from it. Probably even in my own mind, actually. I tend to just kind of give the boy the benefit of the doubt where maybe maybe I shouldn't. The main criticism for Salah at the moment is essentially um, he's not better than Messi. It's basically uh, that is a yardstick. Because <laughs> it's going well. against him at the moment. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly that. But if we said about that Bernardo Silva run at the uh, start of the game, that... Salah's goal in particular, and even um, the assist that he sets up, is one that you, you watch in slow motion. You put the uh, Kanye um, "Father Stretch My Hands" instrumental over the top of it, like you get in basketball, <laughs> and you just sit back and, and enjoy it because 
every little jink of his body in each of those moves, he's sending like multiple players for a hot dog. It's <laughs> it was just one of them where you are seeing someone at the peak of their powers doing it in the biggest game possible um, as we've seen so far. And as someone that doesn't really have a, a dog in a race, Evan, as I've said, as long as Liverpool don't go and beat, we're all good. I'm probably defend Liverpool more <laughs> more than I should. That yesterday was just insane. Watching him do that, like I played my free hit in fantasy this weekend, and I <laughs> took Salah out because I I was just so I was so convinced the way City had been. I thought you'd looked underwhelming at times. I'm going to say it was you like joint top of the league. Um, I didn't think Salah would be able to do what he did yesterday against City. Is essentially what I'm what I'm getting at. And then he made it look like he was playing against Norwich. It was just insane to see. And we have so much nostalgia that we look back and we say that these players can't possibly be better than some of the other ones we have. And people will compare Salah. And there's people that will say Giggs is a better Premier League player than Salah. People will still say that. Yeah, wild, isn't You it? watched something like that yesterday and you just got a can't just like, you need Andy Gray there saying take a bow, clap it like <laughs> for Perez. Just incredible. It, seeing it in slow motion just really drove it home. The angle of where Salah's kind of running towards you um, with with the um, camera there with it slowed down. Phenomenal. I, I can only imagine how it was for you with the emotion of it added on top of that. Yeah, it, it was because particularly with, with you know his assist for that one and then the goal, the timings of both you kind of felt like uh, we'd been under the under the caution a little bit, particularly in that first half. And then just everyone, you know, you got the fans definitely going. And like you said, in in these moments, it's sort of like things do slow down a bit. And considering there's such a high level of game and some of the players that are on that pitch, when someone does something that's so like stand out compared to the rest, those are unbelievable moments. In a game like this as well, it's hard for you on the wing there to really be able to grab the game by the scruff of the neck, mainly because your involvement is usually so much less frequent than it would be against almost any other team in the league. And so to be able to do that from his position and it not just be, if we're talking about Ronaldo doing that, particularly at this stage of the game, it's that, he's made a late run into the box and he, he's he's nicked the two goals late and he's been clutch in that instance. For Salah literally to be picking the ball up on the halfway line, grabbing it by the scruff of the neck and saying, yeah, we aren't losing today, basically. Yeah, yeah. That's hard to do, particularly against this like team of monsters that City has. <laughs> it was just the perfect Premier League game to see all that at once. Not to have a dot in the race and... In a game, I didn't really expect much from. I thought it would you'd cancel each other out, but yeah, I, I, I've not been that enthusiastic about two teams that aren't Arsenal for a long time, and so to see that yesterday was just phenomenal. I think that is the good thing about these two teams as well is that when players are fit and these two teams get together, it does tend to be at a high level of game that you can really sit back and enjoy. I know this one has ended up having four goals, so that probably helps with it as well. But even the ones that haven't always been as high scoring, it's been such like a high level that you can enjoy watching it. 
Uh, and this is, as you said, kind of a timely reminder just as we go off on an international break and don't have any Barclays for a bit. When the people describing it as pure Barclays, you know it's been a good yeah. one. That's, when, <laughs> yeah. that's the benchmark. I remember us praising a game years back in the in the year that a city kind of outlasted you to win the title. When we were talking about a 1-0, like it was like a 5-5 game. It was the, the one with the Sane goal, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And when we talk about consistency, I mean, I think they put the stat up yesterday, I took it down. Um, even in terms of yesterday's game, you had 52% to 48 in possession, four shots on target to three. 279 points since 2018 to 278. When you talk that about consistency, stuff. that mm. is, yeah, it almost would be a bit shot to see the Liverpool have more points in that time. Um, but yeah, I don't think it'll be until further down the line that we take into account just what these teams are doing because I just don't think, aside from a few, you have the glamour players there that we're holding to kind of such... Just, just holding up in the way that we do with some other ones. Where you, yeah, you are right about the the nostalgia point. Is right. We're always reluctant to sort of anoint a current player to levels of previous players. Just I don't know, just because of it's like we want to see what what it is when they're done. Even though, like you said, Sam is ahead of a lot of people already. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to do it, and it's probably a little bit like that with teams as a whole. You know, this Pep's time at City is going to be seen as a dynasty. Um, and probably, I imagine the same with Klopp and Liverpool as well. So, you, like you said, the when you do watch these teams do these teams play, and when they are at it, it is like a different game to a lot of teams. It's Chelsea are kind of arriving at that a little bit now, but don't quite play in the same sort of way. But these two teams have set the standard for the last few years. It's something with the the players as well, though, because we look back at some of the the players from previous years and. Trying to think of an equivalent example, but I think we'll talk about someone like a uh, Michael Essien, maybe, and we still talk and we'll, we'll reference his moments and things like that. I don't think in five, ten years' time we're going to be talking about Fabinho, but all of the talented player that he is for everything he brings to the table. Mm. I think there's a lot of players in this Liverpool team where. We aren't going to hold them up to the same regard. And you look at some players Fair in the point. Invincibles. I mean, the the way we talk about, and this is with all the respect in the world, like someone like Freddie Lundberg, who mm. we're, we're, we're still talking about today. You, you look at someone in like this Liverpool team, there's players of yeah, that calibre like, that realistically, he's not better in the same way. He's not better than Mane, realistically, is no, he? No. I know it's not the best thing. He's not the best time at the minute, even though he did score. But he, he's not better than that. But yeah, like you said, it's it's partly nostalgia, uh, partly just kind of whatever the opposite of recency bias is, where yeah. where, where basically the current thing can't be as good as the yesteryear thing. But the, the only thing for that is whether in ten years' time we do have a bit of a revision of that in our minds, where we do appreciate okay, this this team was. Sort of off the charts. I, I saw Carrigan mention this actually when talking about Salah. When obviously there is a conversation that has he been a bit underappreciated over the years, and he essentially contrasted to say like how Torres and Suarez was viewed as well. They were kind of the main guy. <laughs> like if they didn't score, Liverpool didn't score. Whereas there's obviously a little bit. There's far more spread out in this current Liverpool team. Did you so, see that tweet yesterday saying how how much longer till Salah overtakes uh, Torres's? Legacy at Liverpool. 
That's a bit almost mad. Like about twenty, about twenty eighteen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not sure. Um, again, I mean, that lends itself perfectly to your argument about nostalgia. That is, yeah. The main thing, especially with Torres. I think um, you said at the start of the season that if you maybe not ignore squad depth, but you'd put Liverpool starting eleven against anyone's, and it just mm. depended who stayed fit. I think for anyone that doubted that, I think I don't think I entirely believed it myself. When you looked at Chelsea's eleven, you looked at United's eleven, um, City's, for example, we're, we're seeing that now. Um, I guess yeah. further down the line, we'll know. My argument probably didn't hold up in the first half. You're probably thinking, what is he talking about? Uh, uh, it came around in the end. I don't think for all of Klopp's ego, for all of the belief he has in this team, I think that's like just going out and trading with Mike Tyson. It's like, no matter how good you are, it, there's no need to do that if you're up against it like I don't think Klopp is for as much as he thinks about Salah Mane, he's not stupid enough to go out there and say we're going to go blow for blow with City mm. like, there's mm. there's no need there's no need for it like when you can when you can do that I'm not saying he thought he'd be penned in and having far less of it for 45 minutes but he was never going to go out and go hell for leather was he you, you've never really done that against City no although the pattern has tended to be that we start brightly and fade a little bit whereas this was kind of the opposite of that which is a little bit odd because I did agree with the, the pundits and stuff that just even in our running we did look a little bit tired in that first half so I don't know what he, uh, don't know what he said at half time but you, we've said numerous times that you've got to get at City a bit you can't just because if you do sit back eventually they'll get you um, yeah. so that was obviously whatever he, he tweeted at half time obviously worked the only other talking points from the game um the mill on a red card that wasn't um, mm. one of them, but I don't think many people realised at the time that it was Milner that did it. I think the commentators said it was Henderson, and we all kind of went along with it. Mm. When you saw the replay back, um, they'd only recently mentioned at half time, like, would you take off Milner ears on a booking? I don't understand what the referee, other than not wanting to send someone off, I don't understand any reasoning as to why that wouldn't be a booking no no it's a total bottle isn't it um obviously pep said about the the crowd that will have been a factor i, I think the bigger factor is unless you're you know someone like mike dean most rest don't want the game to be about them so we'll avoid yeah. a big decision rather than make one and potentially regret it uh he tried it, I, he tried it from the touchline mike dean yeah yeah I mean, you. I don't think you'll see a more certain second yellow card. I, I can't think of one in recent times where it's more obvious. You know, some some ones you've seen that are arguable. This wasn't even arguable. I don't think. I thought the only thing was whether, and the ref might try and hide behind this retrospectively, whether he thought Henderson commits the foul initially, and therefore the Milner wasn't. But he doesn't blow up till after the Milner one, so I don't think he can even get out on that one. It's it's pretty blatant. The speed at which Klopp got him off, if the ref didn't <laughs> himself before. The ref knew it instantly, didn't he? He wants Gomez is coming on. Because you, you, you see it all the all the time. I've used a lot of Arsenal examples today, but it's just because they're the ones that are freshest in my memory. Remember the, the, the year, um, Arteta's first game of the Emirates, actually, 
where Jorginho should have been sent off. He was fouling, yes. fouling, fouling all game. He had one, didn't get it, and then within 30 seconds, he'd been yanked because everyone knew he was a walking red card at that point of the game. Yeah, exactly. And everyone on the pitch, seemingly ever than the referee, knew it was a red. Pep said, that's just Anfield. Um, he also said that this happens at Old Trafford as well. So um, I don't think many people would argue with that. In a way, I think that was, whether intended or not, another shot at his own fans as well, though. Because he's essentially said that we're big, hostile grounds that can influence a ref and they're not. It's essentially what he's acknowledged there, isn't it? Is it not certain grounds, though? Like, regardless of the atmosphere, there are times when the atmosphere at Anfield is spoken about more than it should. Yesterday, it obviously, was rocking. Um, is it not a certain thing with Anfield, same as you get with Old Trafford? But, but what Where is that? Even if that, that's what? essentially, it's essentially, it's two big clubs, isn't it? Is really what he's saying there, which is. Uh, Again, I'm not sure he's meaning to, but it's a shot at his own club to say that we basically don't have this reputation. Do you think even if City suddenly they get like the wildest like bulldogs of fans in the street and and they at Liverpool make it just as rowdy in the return fixture, do you think he thinks or do you think the referee is the same way or do you think there is some of it where it is just Anfield, it is Old Trafford, that kind of thing? Essentially, yeah. That's what I mean, just with the atmosphere, with him saying it, do you think he he believes in himself that if they had the most raucous atmosphere next time out, that it's going to have the same thing? Yeah, but maybe, maybe. It is a obviously a historical thing, isn't it, I guess? Is that, yeah. you know, the, the old traffic thing. I mean, they get a decision that and they've not been a good team for quite a yeah, while. Yeah. So it's, yeah, pot- potentially. I, I think... So, Teams at the top do get the rubber the green more often this yeah. year. And I will I will acknowledge, regardless of who that is or what ground, I do think there's a disproportionate amount that the top teams do just get the luck every so often. The only other thing I was going to mention, I didn't really think about it. Someone in another group chat with me and Sean brought it up. So, if you look at the back page of the papers today, um, after the game that we had yesterday, all of it is about this spitting incident where supposedly there was uh, one fan or a group of fans spitting at the Man City staff um, behind the dugout. Are you shocked in any way after a game like that that that's the back page? Or is it, we've seen the game, people haven't seen this, this is what's going to get you to pick the paper up? Yeah, that's that's pretty standard, isn't it? Um, one, it's a shame, because obviously it was a great game, so if you talk about that, it's a shame if it, if it has happened. That's pretty grim. Uh, yeah. So... Yeah, they should obviously be punished accordingly because it's a bit pretty grim regardless. It's, it's one of them, isn't it, where unanimously even Everyone the lowest people are like yeah. that. That's disgusting. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Even more so in the last uh, two years, clearly. Yeah, yeah, even worse. Um, has this changed your thoughts on either a Liverpool or City title charge? Did that either give you more confidence with Liverpool make you more fearful of City how did that game affect your views I think the last week as a whole has been a probably a good reminder of how good City are yeah I think that they sent out a message what they did to Chelsea I thought they were good against PSG but just unlucky and I thought they probably on the first half of the thought we should have 
blown Liverpool out and not given them the chance to come back into this. So I think considering we were probably a little bit down on them because they didn't get Kane when it looked like they were going to, instead we should just be glad they didn't because we probably all would have been blown out if they did. I say this, there's nothing to say. Maybe he might carry on his four-meet show in the Spurs at the minute. But I think they've had probably a good reminder that they are probably still the team to beat. Yeah. Neville said after the game yesterday, if City had Kane, the league would be over already. They would have actually won it after seven games. That would be impressive. I do. You get it in every sport, but football and UFC are particularly bad. They're just the extremes. <laughs> Hyperbole. In, in, <laughs> in reactions, like every single time. It's just like... Well, well I mean... Look, the, the I think it's a fair conversation to have now, but it has is funny how quickly the pendulum swung with Salah. Is that we've essentially had started years? Is he fully appreciated to who's better than him in the world? <laughs> yeah. How quickly it can it can swing? Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's it's bad. I think that does just about do our. I did think watching. Yeah. I did think watching this game. The point you made last week about. Um, that you don't think Chelsea's campaign is going to be decided by these games. It's going to be the little ones against the smaller teams, what I should say. Yeah. It was pretty, it was shown to be probably pretty on the money in that I do think you'd probably back Liverpool and City to turn up for these big games, but you do wonder if they might drop points against some of the lower teams, even because someone camps in against City and just about holds out. Or Liverpool have a defensively frail game like against Brentford. Whereas Chelsea, you don't envisage that happening too much so I did think that was another takeaway from the game as well Do you think it's unfair because I've seen a lot of tweets uh, during the game and immediately after yesterday saying um, City spending 100 million on Grealish when obviously uh, they needed a striker more I don't think it was ever one or the other for City was it like they they bid just shy of 150 million for Kane after they bought Grealish is it just not that Spurs are awful negotiators um, whether they were right to keep their man or not and City weren't prepared to pay that asking price it, it wasn't that City had a choice you take Grealish or you take Kane it was they got one they, but they weren't able to secure the other I, I just think you get the Kane one done or not done first and then think about Grealish after personally I, I think you you got to prioritize was it, which you need the most. I, I agree with you. They can afford both, can't they? So it's not like it has to be an overall scenario. It seems to be with City though that it wasn't they didn't have the money. They weren't prepared to pay that fee for one player. Whereas with with Grealish, they had a release clause that they met. They got it done before the season. In, in, a, but, in yeah. a way, though, that's probably even more reason to go right. We're gonna jump into negotiation with Kane. I mean, everyone should act sooner in the summer than they do. The whole thing with yeah, Evan Kane is yeah. very odd how protracted it was anyway. We all knew the score at the end of last season. So they should have jumped in there, see what the score is, because if Spurs weren't willing to negotiate, that seems to be the case. You can ascertain that very quickly and go, Absolutely, right, we'll, yeah. we'll look elsewhere. And that means I've obviously will walk off £100 million for Jack Grealish. So uh, it, I don't he think is a, a luxury signing. Sorry? I don't think they had a plan B striker they wanted. I think they... Well, that's another... Kane or bust. Yeah, which at the end of the season, I guess we'll find out how wise that was. It it doesn't look an awful decision at the minute because they they look absolutely fine. 
But if they do have a few games where they do struggle to break a team down, people are going to point to that that whole striker thing. Yeah, it does happen though. I mean, what watching that that game yesterday, I know um, they missed some chance in the first half, but you go toe to toe with Liverpool, and your main takeaway is you should have spent 150 million more. Seems an odd one to take, but. It's, it's the Neville with United approach, isn't it? So what do they need, Gary? I just need to spend £300 million. Yeah. All right, guys. I'm sure everyone's quite like that. Well, I think so. that does just about do it. It's got a little bit to do on the boxing, although I'm not sure that's going to be a long uh, prediction piece. But Alex, I'll ask you about the films, but I don't believe you've seen both of them. So you've not seen Jackie Brown, have you? No. Up against American Hustle. Um, Jackie Brown is on Prime The Never seen this before with ads. If you've ever seen that, with As ads, in they'll have ad, ad breaks in the middle of the film. <laughs> yeah, I was only going to go in that direction eventually. It's uh, it's, it's on. Um, you know, they have the little like subscription services within Prime that you see like uh, Stars and uh, MGM and these kind of things. It's on uh, IMDb TV, which is a oh. thing within Prime. But yeah, they'll let you watch the film. Uh, with with I think seven ad breaks uh, during it, if you're prepared to sit through that, it's up against American Hustle, which also has gone on Prime today. Uh, so Keenan will have to spend uh, three pound fifty or whatever it is for that film. Um, but unless you have a prediction for Fury Wilder, Alex, then uh, we'll bid you farewell. Uh, can't say I do, that. so I'll I'll say goodbye. All right, adios. Cheers. Uh, all right, TK. So, big one this weekend. Um, Fury Wilder three draw in the first fight. Fury wins the second fight very conclusively. Um, I don't think it was a trilogy that people were crying out for. Um, Quite the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there is there anything you've seen that suggests things are going to go? the other way this time around. I mean, the first fight, you had the doubts with Fury kind of having his comeback. The second fight, Wilder had obviously found his chin twice and that weighed into it. With how conclusive that is, are you going in with, with any kind of questions or is it fairly cut and dried for you? Yeah, I mean, it really is just a case of we know Wilder can knock anyone out. But that is really the, the only thing you can give him. Um, if if you've heard us reference this a couple of times previously, I'm not overly sold on the Malik Scott link up for Wilder. An <laughs> um, inexperienced trainer, he might be very good, but we don't know. And I think if we're going to go off what they're sort of alluding to and from the style of box Malik Scott was, I imagine they're probably going to be working on a few different things with Wilder, probably trying to. I'm not going to say they're going to try and make him uh, sort of Muhammad Ali, but trying to box more. And I think he he could end up in a situation where he's just caught between diff- trying different yeah. things in a sort of a mixed, mixed up version where you kind of do none of the above. Where you're not the punch, you're not the box, you just end up doing nothing, which, bearing in mind you're up against it with Fury anyway, yeah. is not a good place to be. Well, I, I was bigger, wilder fan, as I think you're finding in this country. Mm. And... I was a bit concerned to see him referencing uh, Fury cheating, um, and that's why it's going to be different this time around. I don't know if it's just talk, 
or if he if he truly does hold a lot of stock in that. Um, and that that was a bit worrying for me, seeing him still bringing that up, and he doesn't have much for him when he can't cheat, and that's why it's going to be different this time around because they know what to look out for. I don't know how much to read into it, but it, it certainly isn't a good look. The um, the only thing with that was, I guess there is some hope for a wild fan is essentially he has to come up with something as yeah. to why it didn't work out. So he can't go in basically thinking like the rest of us that, well, look, this guy's shown he can beat you boxing or he can come and have it with you and beat you as well. So how you'd be going into the camp thinking, well, how am I going to fix this? So if he does have to pin something, a reason, and it wasn't that I wasn't yeah. good enough, then I can, I can kind of allow it. And the other thing with it is, I guess as I've touched on is that, he really only has one method of winning it anyway, so it's not yeah. really like he's going to be coming in. He should be under any illusions about that. It's just at some point I've got to land the right hand, and if it doesn't, I'm not going yeah. to win. Um, as seems to be the case with every Fury fight, I've seen a lot of, look, he doesn't look in uh, as good shape this time around. He's has a newborn baby that's keeping him up all times with how tired he <laughs> looks. Uh, have we not learned by now that no matter what the noises are surrounding a Fury fight, whether you like him or not, essentially don't even let it get your hopes up because these things just don't seem to affect him on the night. Like, yeah, you almost feel at this stage he could be hit by a car on the way to the venue. <laughs> He'll be bouncing on his toes when it's time to get in the ring. Yeah, absolutely. Don't, don't believe it because it's never affected his performance so far. Don't believe it because it's probably bullshit. Yeah. Um, more often than not, he contradicts himself in interviews. Where at one point he'll say he's the best he's ever felt, and other times it's been a rough camp. So yeah, don't don't listen to any of it. It'd generally, be my advice. But it's a uh, it's an, and and the other thing for it is it lays down the the groundwork perfectly that if he did get chinned, wow, yeah. obviously the camp and well, actually I had a few difficulties with this and that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Well that will all be in place. There's no doubt about it. How do you think Fury's going to approach it if you compare probably the first half of the first fight or the way he approached the second fight? Do you think he comes out like that again or do you think he's on the back foot? See, I started convincing myself it might be a bit of a tentative start, but I think with the way that second fight goes, you must think yeah. I'm just going to come out and do the same again. I think I think he's yeah. he must think Wilder's got nothing for him. And I'm sure, he, you know, he's, he's referenced his powers, so he knows what he, he's getting in with. But I I think he'll think I'm picking up where I left off and I'm going to carry on. Yeah, and if we complained about um, Usyk, AJ being 25 quid for as good as a fight it was, BT have uh, decided what a great idea it would be to also make Fury Wilder 3 £25. Oh. So obviously, the quality of fight is exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this... This, if we didn't have two previous ones to go on where we've got a pretty good idea where we think this is going to go, you could maybe get away with the 25 quid. Now that we're going in pretty confident, we know how this goes. It's, it's a tougher ask, isn't it? And even more, which I know isn't their concern, two weeks after, AJ's just fought. So yeah. it's going to be in the, in, yeah. the, in the same TV bill. Um, it's just uh, infuriating, really. Um, might not might not be great numbers, that, I'll be honest. No. Um, American time, BT, we've already seen the first two fights. I, I could do some, they're giving some it a bad big numbers. Sell and, they really so, are. 
I saw um, supposedly uh, you couldn't move during the uh, Patriot Bucks game last night for uh, Fury Wilder promos. So supposedly they've gone big over there. Um, so I can't imagine that was cheap advertising during that. No. Um, so yeah, they must be really going all in there to uh, try and get the numbers up. I know that there's there's still loads of the arena empty. So it's yeah, not I doing see too it, well yeah. there. Um, I feel with this fight, we may not want to believe it's happening until you see them in the ring. But whether you're a Fury fan, whether you're a Wilder fan, I think it'll be refreshing just to get this out of the way. Um, if what Wilder wins, do you think... You can say, what happens yeah, if Wilder does win? <laughs> I think if, you, if you're Wilder and you win this, you sail off into the sunset and you say, absolutely not. You're not getting yeah. any... You do the uh, one man one markets. Yeah, I mean, he did him a favour in the first time you were in the fight. Um, mm. Probably regrets that now. Well, I don't know. I, I, I still feel like with uh, with Wilder, unless you do something like spew in there, which off the last fight would be a really bad look. Um, I don't really think there's anything you can do where people still aren't going to tune in to see your next fight. So, no, no, he he's, he's all right in that regard. Yeah, I was just thinking if he if he won, then everyone in the Fury camp's gonna be like, Well, this is one all. Let's yeah. do it again, and then we're all gonna be tearing our hair out the idea of a fourth one. I think his team may be of the of the outlook that we can fight Andy Ruiz, we can fight Dylan White and they're far more winnable. We probably get just as much cash. Um but I think that's something he doesn't need to worry about <laughs> just just yet. Yeah, yeah, maybe think about that Sunday. What what would your prediction be if you had to give one? I think Fury, and I, I think where he's a bit more prepared for it, Wilder will stand up to it better than he did in that second one. But I, I could see a late stoppage. Okay, yeah, yeah, probably ninth or tenth sort of time. I'll say Fury decision, but. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think I'll be thinking, why did I pay 25 quid for this torment? Um, <laughs> the, there we go. the thing about him is we have said that Wilder is, whatever you think of him, as entertaining a watch as you can find just because you're going to be watching until the ref weighs it off or the bell goes. You're watching every second night because it could change at any point. Yeah, and... As as far as they go, I mean, it's actually not too bad of an undercard, is it? Could be worse. In fairness to him, Hearn's uh, Liverpool card earlier in the night isn't bad either. No. Not, not names, but give some good uh, close ones in there. And the UFC isn't great either, so it's not like you do the usual watch the UFC and then switch back over um, in time for the main event, even when you've got it on pay-per-view. I do have a horrible feeling they're going to have John Fury in there, but just have to put up with that. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think they will. Yeah. Um, but I think that does just about do us for today. Thanks again for listening to another edition of Spitballing Pod. We will be back later this week with Movie Madness. Maybe something tomorrow if you uh, keep your eyes on your feed. Till then, goodbye. <laughs>